I press start recording, and that means means that we're recording a live thing, except that it isn't live, except that it's sort of live because we're both obviously alive humans. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to do a soft start on, on pre-records. I've yet to work it out. Everyone, hello, welcome to, to Rail Natter, sort of, except this is, it t- it'll be tomorrow night because it's, it's Tuesday night. This is going out live tomorrow night. But it's tonight, obviously, because obviously we're live, right? Bonnie is here. Bonnie Price is here, everyone. Hello. Thank you for having me. That's all right. Wait a minute. I'm going to press this button here. Hello, Bonnie is here. We're waving. Oh, you've got the hat. Right, I'm going to get the hat on. I've got my hat. Here we are. I'm prepared. It even lights up. Hang on. Oh, do the light up. Excellent. Oh. My little disco. Doesn't matter that I'm stuck in tier four. Very. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, don't, don't. Uh, thanks, thanks, Bozza. Uh, what's all right? What, what, what you, um, what are your Christmassy effects that you have? I have a single uh, mince pie. Well, I, I've not done one of your rail natters before, and I was a little bit nervous, so I thought I'd come really prepared. <laughs> That's excellent preparation, because funnily enough, and halfway through, when oh, yeah. I'm a little bit too tipsy. I've got mince pies ready to sort of bring me back to the sober edge. That's, bring, that's, that's it, back from the brink. Yeah, good plan. I, yeah, I do actually have a box of mince pies over here ready to, to get involved with. I've only got one glass of Baileys. I'm following you, I, I, normally I drink, I'm an old, I'm basically an old, I don't want to stereotype here, but I'm about to horribly stereotype. I'm a bit of an old woman and I, I quite enjoy drinking sherry at Christmas. I'm a big sherry fan. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you there. Like I'll drink like amaretto or Baileys neat and I'm quite happy that's just you sorted like just absolutely yeah yeah um to a victorian woman who's just like time traveled obviously <laughs> yeah i i i'm yeah I'm, I'm all over the sherry so i will just sit and drink sherry like there's no tomorrow in fact i was at a, a christmas party when, when, yeah in 2019 i was at a christmas party where i went through a bottle and a bit of sherry and actually i don't know i, I think because it, cause it's quite sticky you slow down a bit so it just keeps me on the brink of like a pint and three quarters tipsy like night, which for me is like I don't take. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm a lightweight, so for me I'm an easy drunk. But um, yeah. Oh, I miss the sherry, so I need to get some sherry in. It Absol- sounds like if you can't go to a work Christmas party this year, your work owe you a bottle of sherry. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Yeah. Uh, well, my my employer gave me a gift card this year, so maybe I just need to absolutely blend that on uh, on on sherry. Yeah. It sounds like it's the only responsible thing to do. Absolutely is. So You've got um, be going. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness, right, we've been recording for 2 minutes and 41 seconds as I said that, and already we've gone off track horrendously. We don't, we've we totally forgotten what we're talking about. We're just talking about booze. Uh, tremendous. <laughs> this is what it's all about, everyone. Um, so it's the tw- it's Christmas Eve Eve for everyone who's watching. Well, hello to everyone in the chat. Hello, hello. This will go out in a sort of a weird way where it kind of is a bit like it is live and everyone sort of chats away, which is nice because that's one of the nice things about Rail Natter is we've got lots of lots of people who re- watch regularly and they all say hello to each other in the chat when it starts. It's very nice. Um, I'm going to have a sip of Bailey's. hope everybody's been good. Oh, yeah, well, um, everyone's more even more stuck at home than they thought they would be. But if we'd recorded this when I'd originally planned to before all of my tech broke, sorry, um, we would have not known what the lockdown situation would be, whereas now we know that it's it's really dreadful. So um, we're going to pretend that's not happening. In any case, let's let's do this thing. So exactly, exactly right. No, click click that button, and then so tonight. So tonight we're talking about what the railways get up to at Christmas. Well, kind of. We're, we're going to talk about what the railways get up to at Christmas when they're not running any trains, um, because every year a huge, you know, like thousands and thousands of, of railway people go out and 
and do things. And I thought we'd talk about, well, not even what all of them are doing, but what what, a few, what our experience, what Bonnie and my experience of people doing things at Christmas on the railways is. Um, yeah, and, and so we're going to start with this. Fred, before we crank into the intro, uh, obviously there's no news because it's a pre-record and we don't want to think about the news. We just want to think about Christmassy things. Is this little news snippet that uh, Dr. David Turner, friend of the show, um, uh, tweeted uh, actually uh, back on kind of a couple of weeks ago, which is an excerpt from 1982, which is the, f- the, 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 the first year where trains didn't run on Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Because in 1981, they had done, and then 1982, they hadn't, and then they have not since. So I think it's quite interesting, this tiny little snippet from, an, from a news, from the Liverpool Echo, actually, in uh, December 1982. Uh, this little excerpt. I suspect perhaps that's sort of one part infrastructure needing a good solid chunk to get that up, upgrades and everything else done. But I suspect also that's probably a shift in terms of union organisation and things like that. So right. I suspect it's probably the collision of both of those sort of needs from the railway coming together in terms of the people on it needing a break, but yeah. also in terms of the opportunity from the construction engineering side needing that decent chunk of time again. That's very interesting because there, there was some postulation under this tweet as to why particularly that was the year. And there was some there was some discussion about there was there were some people mentioning unions, but there was some discussion about the fact that it felt like at that point there was actually uh, it was stopped because there was a, a very small amount of use, which didn't didn't justify people going to work, you know, actually running trains that day. And so there's so there's a bit of it. So it's not entirely clear. So actually, that's very interesting. I hadn't really thought about the union side of it, but that that does sound right. This this kind of just the right happenstance of 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 union activity to sufficient to to say actually, come on, people need to have a day off or a couple of days yeah. off. That's interesting. Well, this is why this is why we have Bonnie on, folks, is because some insights like that, and and this is just the start of things. So um, I'm, I'm in a union as well. I'm in RMT Young Members, so just got to represent them. Oh, absolutely. Well, well I'm I, I'm a I'm a shoddy scab because well, not a scab, but I'm 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 not I'm not in a union. <laughs> Despite the fact that I'm a strongly socialist person, I'm not actually in a union. I need to join. Wait a minute, which is the one that I, I'm supposed to? It's not Aslev. It's uh, the white collar one. Oh, that's I... also a little bit of a misconception, though. You can join whichever transportation union you want to. That's not necessarily a I must join this union because I do this white collar work, etc. Like, you know, which is what I thought originally before mm. I joined the union. But mm. you can join whichever transport union you want. It's just that other ones might have a better, um, more tailored to to your. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The reason oh, I joined RMT is because they had a young members uh, division that reached out to me. I didn't actually know any of them had young members divisions. Interesting. Oh, this this has got this episode's good already. I'm loving this. We, we, Bonnie, we'll need to get you back on to talk about what the or 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 you know generally just have a discussion about what um what the young the the kind of the young union members group within RMT does because we haven't really talked enough about unions and and the the. I, I sometimes get irk, irksome about the way the structure of the railways and, and how a lot of groups, including the unions, are all vying for power at the moment. And sometimes they forget about everyone forgets about customers. So as a socialist, I'm not union bashing for the sake of it. But I just mean everyone gets. But actually, I've not talked about the. I've not really dedicated any time to talk about the positive stuff that unions do today, partly because I don't. I, I, not being a young union member, I've not really got involved in that side of things. So that's a gap. Right, future rail matter theme booked in already, everyone. You've, you heard it here first. Oh, this is, I, I'm excited. This is already a cr- cracking episode. I'm going to have a bite of mince pie just to, to, to cheer myself. Right, anyway. To the sober edge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, I think perhaps uh, I've only been involved in the Young Members Union for a couple of months. 
but there's definitely you know some other people if you wanted to do sort of a two or three person interview for that that would be a good that'd be a good laugh that'd be awesome yeah and take a, take a sip every time we mention the government <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've not done a good drinking game rail natter episode but i think once i work out the technology to have multiple people on on a rail natter which i will freely admit i have not yet once i work that out Actually, the fix that I've done to get this tech to work for yourself, for this episode, having fixed the tech, this might mean that I can do it now, actually. Yeah. I need, there needs to then be a drinking episode of Rail Natter. That'll probably be entertaining for everyone involved rather than just sort of uh, di- a dismal listening experience. In any case, uh, we'll, we'll find, the only way to find out is to, is to test and stretch the format to its limits. Uh, I found this so far. volunteer for that one. <laughs> so, we are going to talk about christmas and what the railways do at christmas and yeah. um without yeah okay without further ado and also giving us a chance to sip our uh, our baileys i'm gonna hit the button and make the intro video uh, happen so uh welcome to i broke it already wait a minute that's there's gonna be <laughs> wait, wait a minute this is i've got a test card with tone when i break it wait a minute watch this i know oh, right yeah. uh, it's also a very loud beep that that neither of us have experienced but that uh, it's a horrendously loud beep uh because it's a proper test card with a beep. In any case, uh, I, I see this is me getting overexcited and thinking I have and have not clicked in appropriate things. And right now, I'm going to be ready to click. Oh my goodness, it's it's, it's happening already. <laughs> right, okay, I'm buttons. now going to do it. I'm now going to. The thing is, all this is going to stay in because uh, editing and also people love people absolutely love it when I break the format. They oh no, but that's it, better. I hate boring videos where they're too slick and people seem like robots. Ugh. There is no risk of that happening on this channel. <laughs> uh, without further ado, welcome to tonight's Rail Natter. lovely in city 225 fades out and we've got the lovely snow and the jingle bells oh yeah this will be the first episode where people experience the snow and jingle bells actually i hope everyone enjoyed that let's go back to us side by side oh my goodness what an absolutely unprofessional last three minutes of show that was no it's perfect i'm loving this everyone this so this weird thing that everyone started that i don't really know why the people on the uh there's a rail matter discord server don't know what that is mm-hmm. but um i'm in it but then um, the people have started a bingo. So they have a bingo where I, I say things and then they get points for the things that I say every episode. So there are things that I say every episode because my brain is actually a very limited capacity. And I have about 600 phrases and I just jingle them up every episode. One of them is I moan about how unprofessional a show it is. Or I sarcastically say it's a very professional show. One of those is a bingo tick. So they, whoever's created the bingo, you're going to have to create new ones. Because I'm starting to work out the ones that are on the bingo list now. Uh in I any feel case. like we've got a duty to throw in some really weird vocabulary. Some really yeah. like side, like right in from a strange angle sort of stuff. Yeah. Part of me wants to compare trains to a pterodactyl just because no one will have that. <laughs> yeah, like, like like really niche ornithological references just from left field. Yeah, I like yeah. that a lot. That's good. Um, yeah, or we could just, we could start referring to like, yeah, we could start referring to things all in like cost speak. And see, uh, and and just just really no. In fact, let's not do that at all. No, yeah, talking of which, talking <laughs> of which, 
Bonnie, it's time people. It's time the people you told the people who you are because we've we've had you on. I've I've stated you as a railway and utility project manager, but I think that rather undersells you. So uh, let's whiz back to the pictures and get our little faces up. Here we are. We're up in the top corner. This is a nice selfie with you masked up. Tell tell so tell us all about yourself, Bonnie. So I came to the railway. So I'm I'm 26 at the moment. Uh, I came to the railway after quitting halfway through a marine biology and ecology degree uh, down in Cornwall. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. I quit uni and I was like, yeah, uni's not for me. Let's let's get out of this before I get myself in any more debt. And I got the first job I could find, which was a um, admin assistant. And it was a temporary contract for a uh, company called um, Freedom Connections. Uh, they've been since been bought out by NG Bailey. Mm. Um, and I started there as a temporary admin assistant. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I'm happy to say that now because I think it was pretty obvious at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I made a good cup of tea and I filed papers quite well and I was quite interested. And then, uh, you know, people in the project team at the time, you know, there was different contractors that came and went. And I sort of ended up covering for various roles like the commercial manager. So on my train ride home from my first big grown-up job, I would have excerpts of our nec option a contract with our client at the time oh my goodness reading it on the met line home looking like the world's most boring word woman ever <laughs> and uh so then that was sort of how i ended up sort of growing into that job and it turned out actually i really liked engineering and mm. utility work and railway work i was really interested in it and i had no idea because that was never something that was put to me when i was younger that that was something i could have possibly enjoyed I mean, I picked marine biology and ecology at university because by the time it was time to pick what I was going to do at university, I just finished a box set of Blue Planet. I <laughs> that little idea. That's not even, I'd love to tell you that was a funny story just for this, but it, it really isn't. I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. And it's not for lack and of... And Sophie, Sophie did, like, it's such an unfair thing. I, I was one of the few people, arguably one of the weirdos, who did kind of have a, an idea of what I did. But I don't think it's unreasonable up until the age of frankly like into your early 20s but particularly at the age of like 18 making long-term career decisions like that's <laughs> so i mean I, I do wonder perhaps if engineering construction and railway had been put to me when i was younger would i have hmm. would i have picked it i don't know but I'm, I'm very lucky now to have sort of fallen into an industry that i really enjoy um because obviously not everybody goes to work and enjoys their job which to me is just so alien to go oh it's just a job Whereas I, I couldn't live like that, to be honest. Oh, likewise. I'm glad I don't have to. You and me both. Like, when you live and breathe something, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it has its advantages and its disadvantages in that um, it means that when we're having a hard time, it really impacts our... Like, when work is a bit rubbish, it really impacts everything. We can't necessarily put it to bed. But Absolutely. it does mean that with the highs as well, you know, yeah. it, it's it, it's definitely overall definitely I prefer that for me anyway, and it sounds like for you we both prefer it that way where we li live it and love it. For sure, for sure. So this picture uh, was taken on the first day of my my current job that I only got a few months ago mm. as a scheme project manager for the Euston um, for redevelopment of Euston mm. Conventional Station for Network Rail. So that was my first day on site, hence why I've got a mask on because obviously coronavirus, all that good stuff. Uh, we can probably move to the next picture now. Oh, yeah, sure. That's cool. So, oh, nice, yeah. And then that was my first day when I finally got all my tech a couple of days late because of the wonders of IT. Because any, <laughs> any big company, or even small company, IT is generally the bane of your life. So uh, 
so yeah that was my first day from home getting to know the team and everything else i know right yeah for really weird experience because it was just towards the end of the first big lockdown so at the end of july and it was it was very strange <laughs> so to, so i must remember to audio describe all my images because a lot of people listen to this as, as a as a podcast without the um, without the slides why they do this i don't know but quite a sizable number do so um, so here we have um this, this is presumably your set your lockdown setup right um, so the high tech <laughs> the high tech yeah so we have uh, a fan we have two bottles of water and a, a casually hidden seven up there is it in the background uh it is well there's okay, oh, that's very good spotting of you so i've got a can of seven up a still water <laughs> and a fizzy lemon and lime water because i was very nervous to meet my team and couldn't decide what i might want <laughs> <laughs> And a fan in case I started going red and blushy and shy. <laughs> <laughs> you got the fan. You've got that so forward thinking. Su- yeah, yeah, that's such support plant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the plant there is is prov- clearly surprising. So you've got then you've got a nice little sort of uh, uh, non iPad iPad sort of touchpad thing, and then the laptop uh, like a li- little, little netbook by the looks of it behind it. Yeah. Plus the network rail. Welcome to your new Windows Ten device. Sort of yeah. uh, mouse pad with all your info on it all the joys oh yeah and then you've got the pen and the notebook you've also got the headset as well by the look of it oh no it's not a headset that's a docking station yeah it's a port set so that you can plug it into various screens that have never arrived no 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 oh dear super Uh, useful and then is that a work phone as well or is that your mobile Uh, that's a work phone as well so the whole you really have laid out the whole kit it's quite it's quite good yeah yeah Yeah. well Um, i was very nervous on my first day because obviously i'm used to going in getting to know everyone and I'm I'm quite deaf and normally I lip read so I really respond on lip reading and body language normally so not being able to do that and meeting a whole new team was a bit it was more nerve-wracking than I originally thought when I changed jobs during lockdown like I thought oh, I'd be fine I, it I, was fine <laughs> it's, it's it's and it's I mean it, it's it's a, a, a humorous but also a serious point in that thinking about briefly thinking about lockdown given that engineering is very much a team sport right um a lot of people, but you know, even beyond the realm, beyond um, beyond engineering, lockdown and, and working in the, these conditions for, for for people with for for any you know neurodiverse people, people with various sort of um, you know differences in the way that they perceive the world, differences in the way that they socialize, the way that they interact with others, it's really challenging. For it's really radically challenging. Um, My biggest bane is when um, other people's internet connection isn't quite right. And it throws their audio and visual off. So you mean, it means I can't lip read from their screen what they're saying. So then obviously, you know, the, the auto captions are as good as they can be. But sometimes it's so frustrating. It's not their fault. Don't get me wrong. But it's definitely one of those things I think a lot of people don't take into consideration when lockdown happened. The differences that a lot of people have had that they wouldn't have even thought to bring up. Like I didn't think to bring up with my employer that I have to lip read because it's something that's so natural to me. But now everybody's wearing masks. I'm like, ah. Yeah. And I'm conscious that we're having a recording where you seem to be having it, where for some reason my tech is still not quite perfect in that you're getting a delay of about a second and a half from my audio to my face. So it's not like I've exactly set this up particularly well either. I know, but you had no idea of knowing. It's only my screen that's doing that, by the way. It's not yours that's doing that. No, and recording's fine. It's just, it's just, there seems to be a bit of a delay. Yeah, I trialed this and it seemed to be working. So I'm not... Not quite. Sure. I need to. Basically, I still need to fix the tech properly. Uh, I, I shall. The the wizards on Discord will. Um, I'll I'll interact with them and get it all fixed up. They'll they'll sort me out. Um, 
this is as loud as it goes my end on my laptop so i can hear you fine it is clear though i was gonna that is deaf so yeah so long as you can hear me nice and clearly that's that's hopefully a good thing anyway i shall ensure not to i shall do my best not to mumble um i'll always say pardon what What yeah pardon what works yeah yeah so uh so that was your setup which is which is a good setup actually although kind of indicative of how so many people are working which is off of generally quite small coffee tables in and around their you know accommodation wherever they can find a space to put it uh i mean i'm in a house of seven so i'm working in my bedroom i don't have a swanky home office oh yeah that's that's my that's my chest of drawers next to my bed yeah yeah. uh must must uh must must put out a mention to the to the to the housemates who you've turfed out of their living space for the for tonight's episode which actually let's go side by side briefly so you can show just how glorious the background is what a tree lights I mean, the works. Even, my housemate even made a homemade Christmas wreath, which I have to show you. Oh, you must Bless show us, her. you must. Hang on, let's... Can you see oh, that? it's lovely. It's lovely. Look at that. Lit candles and everything. Bit of lit candles, bit of snow. That Bailey's is... That Bailey's in the wine glass is really... That's excellent, yeah. Well, I could have poured it in a little glass, but then I'd just have to keep repouring them. So I thought... The most efficient thing to do <laughs> in a larger glass. And I feel like if any year we all deserve Baileys in a large glass to be a large Baileys, it would be this year. It's 2020. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Yep. 2020, the year of the wine The year of the, <laughs> the, the alcoholics. Yes. Yeah. So, um, new job and never great. So the next image. Yep. Uh, tell us what's going on here. So uh, this is, in fact, you describe what this image is and then tell us about it. Okay, so this is a GIF that I didn't realise my phone could make, which is why I was really happy with it and kept it forever, because <laughs> um, I am technologically completely incompetent. Um, so this is the job that I was on before I went to Network Rail. This is um, the escalator shaft at Farringdon before the uh, cladding and everything else was finished. Mm. So this is at Farringdon Crossrail. So I was working for the um, London Underground Crossrail team, and I was um, on the project team for Farringdon, Whitechapel and Tottenham Court Road. Ah, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is way back in the day when I very first started, uh, April 2018. And I, yeah, this was, I think, one of the first site tours I went on was Farringdon. And this was one of the gifts that my phone took automatically. And I was quite happy with the shot and how it all looked and thought it was quite pretty, so I kept it. It is nice, yeah. So that's... So pretty early on, you were. So, so how many years had you been in the industry by the time you came on to Far- onto the, the the onto Farringdon as a as a uh, kind of working at Farringdon? Uh, four or five, I think. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, four. so it just—I mean, okay, four or five years is quite well. But fairly early on, you were working on quite substantial projects and some pretty hef- hefty engineering. Yeah, I think I think I've been really fortunate in the projects that I've been on. I mean, when I worked for the London Underground Crossrail team, I was going through a consultancy at the time called CPC Project Services. So I've normally always been consultancy based for mm. that very reason. I think you get a lot more exposure to better and more different projects. It's not like you stay somewhere for three months and then quit because you you know you're not very good it, it's a good a chance to have exposure to different projects in a planned manner mm, yeah that's sort of that's why like you know anyone sort of starting out in their career I, I often do say you know yes the big companies are great and their grad schemes are great but also don't don't look away from 
the consultancies and stuff it depends on what you're wanting in your career and if you want to work on those larger projects cons- the, the route of consultancies and agencies can be a really good one yeah i was going to say that the, the it's kind of an un sorry go on no, no, I'm just saying it's, you've, you've just got to make it work for you in terms of what it is you're hoping to achieve and get out of that first sort of stint in your career sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are definitely ben- – and it's not it's not something I've explored much as, as kind of a, as, a, as a, a career path to explain to people. But there, I've, quite a lot of my um, sort of uh, Twitter railway engineering friends work for some of the small consultancies, some of the small management – you know, the project management, railway-focused yeah. project management consultancies. So friends working on things like, you know, co- projects like Coventry Station – yeah, and, and and sort of other bits and pieces where where they're not working for the Atkins or the Acom or the Arup, they're working for some of the smaller uh, sort of often often focused on project management. Actually, often they're kind of working on some of the kind of the 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 project guidance kind of elements of the project. Some of these smaller consultancies, as well as feeding in as a as a sort of the engineering management skills as well. It's yeah, it's it's a. Our industry is a complicated one. It's difficult to explain that there's there is a diff, there's quite a texture of different large and small organisations, you know, consultancies and contractors. Um, for the benefit of everyone listening, generally we can generally we refer to consultancies as being the um, what's the best way to describe? Well, the contractors are the ones who build. The consultants are the ones who direct how to build, whether that's in design or management or, and then the client is the network rail or the or whoever sort of ultimately then owns the stuff afterwards. For anyone yeah. who's not sure of when we used client, contractor, consultant, um, does that match with your, would you broadly agree with those definitions, Bonnie? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think the only one that's missing there is um, you do get people who are classed as freelancers mm. who for themselves as their own limited company and will freelance either into the client, into a consultancy or into a contractor yep. who, who just work for themselves and are generally sort of, lack of a better word, but mercenary in that sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the um, yeah, yeah, who uh, and who are confusingly referred to as contractors, but aren't necessarily yeah. contractors, just to confuse yeah. everything. Yeah, <laughs> uh, indeed. Uh, so that we've we, this mesmerising gif has got everyone kind of dancing around the their, their rooms now. We've, there's some sort of strange subliminal messaging hypnosis going on, but um, it's quite pretty. So the next image, oh, this is lovely. This, this yeah. is a, a lovely big purple roundel, and some people looking quite pleased to be next to it. Tell us, tell us, Bonnie, what's going on here? So this was uh, during the Whitechapel Family and Friends Day for staff to bring family and friends to uh, come and look at their work that they've done. And uh, I bought my family because I have no friends. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, we're half a glass of Bailey's in and we're already getting deep. This is it. No. Yeah, no, right. um, so obviously uh, the gentleman in the middle is my grandfather. His name's Barry. And then the two little boys either side of him. On the left is Archie and on the right is Alfie. They're both my brothers. They're twins, believe it or not. Uh, And they are mad about building sites, about any kind of diggers, any kind of machinery or demolition. So like every year I get them like big Tonka trucks and other crazy stuff for Christmas. Um, And they wanted to wear my site stuff to go and look at the building site and look at everything. So it was really nice to be able to show them around, obviously, what I do, because when they were much smaller, um, they're only 10 now, but when they were much smaller, you know, I couldn't really explain my job to them. Mm, They thought I drove trains and I was like, you know what? You're four. That's good enough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can explain to them that I don't, in fact, drive trains. I build the things that the trains go through. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was good for them to be able to come and see. And it was, you know, it's a bit cheesy, but I was really proud to be able to show my family what I do. There's sort of an ongoing joke with some of my friends and family that I'm like Chandler and friends. Like everybody knows I've got a job, but nobody's really sure on what I do. <laughs> they, they just know that it's sometimes important and I sometimes have to work weekends, but they don't yeah. really get it. <laughs> oh, shout out to Barry, Alfie and Archie uh, enjoying, uh, enjoying the site visit there. That's, that's lovely. It's really lovely. So uh, we can probably move on to the next image. Yeah. So, and also I'll get our little faces back because I made our faces go away because we were blocking up uh, your family. So, ah, right. Now here is, here is an image and a half. In fact, we can flip between our faces being on and off to show Euston Tower there. There's Euston Tower in the background. Or uh, uh, there we are. So uh, our faces are back and there's a massive picture of, uh, overhead picture of Euston Station with quite, I mean, firstly, it shows how Euston Station is, I have mixed feelings on Euston Station. I quite like the modernist element of the design. It, it originally quite spacious, but from outside, particularly given you know, the need for like lots of the postal deliveries happened on top. So the actual yeah. top of the building, the view of the building from away, from further away, is a bit ugly compared to its rather more fetching uh, brothers and sisters of St Pancras and King's Cross a little bit further up Euston Road. But Definitely. it's it's a functional station. But tell us what what what's going on here and why are you in charge of it? I okay I definitely have to make a note there that I am not remotely <laughs> in charge before my boss rings me after seeing yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah. I am I am like way way down in the tiny cogs there so let's not you know I don't want to get any lip off of uh, my team that I work with um so Euston obviously you know it's not a secret that it's a very overcrowded station that's not a secret to anyone um, its operating capacity versus how many passengers use it is insane. Mm. And, you know, for a long time before I joined Network Rail, I would avoid using Euston. I used to find it very stressful mm. because of just the amount of people there versus actual space and space to wait for a train in terms of waiting on concourses and things like that. Um, so obviously the station project, well, the project that I'm on is sort of the counterpart to HS2. So obviously HS2 are doing their thing, which is what we can see at the bottom of this image, where obviously they're digging out and everything else along the cut line. <clears throat> but what I'm doing is the, is the uh, yeah, if you can just mark out mm. that in red for me. Perfect, thank you. Um, so blue, what are, blue. It's HS2 bit blue. Oh, uh, HS2 blue. is blue. I apologise, you're right. HS2 is blue. And then if we do Rex in orange for the top half of the station, as it were. There we are, this bit here. And then... Where's the cut line actually? Which bit? Where's the boundary of whose is whose? So. Is it where the I'm, fence is? I'm not able to draw on it, am I? No. Right, no. There's some blue boxes. There's some. There's there's the kind of there's, there's the whole road on the HS2 side. Yeah, it's a little it's a little further over, but for all intents and purposes, it's kind of between these there. two. Yeah, this is roughly there. That's fine. Yeah, roughly there. And um, so obviously the Rex project, which is what I'm on, which is the redevelopment of Euston Conventional Station, is looking at sort of the other side of Euston Station's concourse and platforms in terms of how we can modernise it and get better space out of that. And, you know, hopefully by the end of it, we'll pull off a bit of a King's Cross. It'll be far more passenger friendly. It will be far more user friendly also for the type of passengers we have. Um, mm. You know, I mean, it, it's not a secret that, that, you know, the ramps at Euston are not the friendliest for passengers of reduced mobility for people having you know prams and things like that and lots of heavy luggage and having things like the sleeper trains and the long distance services means that you know it's not the same as london bridge where you have more of a commuter based 
following for that yep. station. It's a very complex station in terms of just what your end user needs. So in terms of what kind of passengers we have and, you know, how long are they going to be at that station for? Are they going to want to have lunch? Are they going to want to expect more from that station because of the types of journeys they're making? And that from that design perspective now, which is the part of the project that I'm working on, makes that really challenging mm. because Cause... it isn't just people who want to turn up and have a pastry and a coffee and go. It's people who might want to actually have a, a full proper dinner because they've mm. been on a train for five hours. Yeah, yeah. Or they're about to be on a train, you know, or they're about to hop on the sleeper for hours and hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, of all the station, of all the station termini, you know, the, of all the terminal stations rather in London, this yeah. is possibly the one with the widest use case because of the sleeper train. Absolutely. It, it, it potentially has the big, because it's a very heavily used commuter station. Plus, obviously, it's also, if you like, kind of the, the, the flagship way up to Scotland, you know, Manchester and, and, and up to Glasgow plus sleeper train plus everything in between it it really is so yeah very challenging it's missing is an international and then it would have everything yeah in that, in that campus as it were mm. that that's the only thing that's missing yeah yeah it's um it's so a huge amount of work going on and a very challenging constrained site as as with any london major kind of upgrade work yeah i mean looking at so part of my job is obviously looking at the design and the other part of it is looking at sort of the concept of operations in terms of okay, how does this station operate as is? And then during the different design options that we have, how could the station operate with the least amount of impact to passengers potentially for during construction? And then what do we want that to look like at end state? What is the best, most efficient thing we can squeeze out at the end of this for, um, for our station staff to ensure that, you know, they have a better place to work yeah. for the passengers, ensuring that they actually get the station they, they need and want rather than what, you know, someone thinks, oh, this might look nice, but actually, is this what we need? Mm. So that concept of operations in terms of ensuring that we don't have a shortfall is is really critical at the moment. And that's sort of what I'm focusing on um, yeah. with my job role at the moment. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, yeah, an unenviably complicated challenge, but um, an interesting one, I'd imagine. It's the sort of one yeah. that keeps you excited. So, so the reason I took this job was because it was so mind-bending. So I've only ever worked on the physical delivery of the station once the design is already there. So mm. that's why, you know, when I interviewed for this job, I, I really wanted this job because it had everything that my CV was missing. Ah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, one really good example of why, you know, Euston's quite challenging is that it creates the most waste compared to any other station because of the types of journeys it has. Interesting. So, you know, for example, we can't just move around the bin storage, just as an example, because there is so much waste that if it isn't dealt with, the station stops. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not an option. Yeah. So don't stop the railway. So it's it's little things like that that you just wouldn't necessarily put so much umbrage on when you're when you're doing that planning and design. But when you really look at it as a whole, you absolutely have to go through everything with a fine tooth comb. And that doesn't even think about the interface with HS2. Yeah. Well, with all of the utilities, the groundworks, the geotechnical stuff, it's for such a, I say small site, I don't mean small as in terms of um, complication, but small in terms of footprint. Yeah. There is so much going on. It is crazy. It's incredible. And it's, it's so important for, I mean, ultimately, and, and this is, this is as true for the kind of the, 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 
plain line railway infrastructure, if you like, you know, the stuff that's away from the stations as it is for the stations. The railway isn't the railway without th- you, without the operations side of it. You have to no. think about the operations. And so just like planning the overall network shape of a railway, you, just the same. You have to think about the operations of the station, the, the flow of passengers, the flow of staff. Where does staff rest? Where do, where do the, where's the interaction? Where's the driver facilities? Where the, and way, all these things. And, it's, and yeah, how it's do they get to their places of work? Because there are union agreements for the distance in which people can walk to clock on and off you know mm. there is so much that goes into it and it's so intricate that you know at the moment between hs2 and rex there is you know just to give a shout out they are doing such a good job of making sure that they you know aren't missing any opportunities and are trying to be as collaborative as possible so that we can get the most out of what we're doing at this station ah fantastic that's good to hear there'll be a lot of people very pleased to hear that yeah so uh houston crikey that's all I have to say. Well, there's probably a lot more we can say about that. But we should, given that we are 36 minutes into an hour-long podcast, we've not even talked about Christmas yet. Uh, oh, we've got the hat, so it, it, it's fine. Um, the hats count. We are going to go into a question. Both of us, our faces have just gone bright orange because a big orange slide has appeared. And it says, why does the railway close at Christmas? Well, hopefully the next couple of slides will give us both a chance to sort of blab on a bit and explain this one so why does the railway close at christmas well um well i put pictures up the next picture is a little it's a video actually uh it's a video looking south from glasgow central Uh, and i thought this one explained well the reason that fundamentally the reason why the railways close at christmas uh is because otherwise the trains run and we can't do anything while the trains are running uh particularly if you do things like it's it's quite nice i like quite like this video this is this is what is this is half an hour and it just shows how many trains are coming in and out of a very complicated web of tracks south of Glasgow Central, but you can't run trains like this if if you've dug up the track. So here's another picture, a rather rather more serene image of uh, of one of the projects I worked on a while back. This wasn't at Christmas; this was in March. But um, you can see there's a hole where the track should be. You can't run trains if there's a hole. Uh, yeah, there we are. Anyway, so Bonnie, your thoughts? Does this basically sum up why we do this sort of thing? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier some of the other op- things, but broadly, the reason we need to do stuff. Yeah, the reason we close the railway at Christmas is because we need to do stuff to it, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about when our railways were first built and everything else and all the infrastructure that goes with the railway, there is so much upkeep in order to keep our railways safe that you just can't get done any other time of the year. That's sort of like my first point. My second point is obviously looking at this video that you've got up at the moment where the track is actually off of the ballast and everything else. I mean, apart from the fact that you obviously wouldn't be able to run a train without any track, even if you're doing works that aren't as um, infrastructure heavy as such as taking the track off, it's it's just not worth doing it in an unsafe manner. Mm. If you've got people on the ground, which if you're working, you would, you know, I'm of, I'm of the opinion that especially on a Christmas blockade, you know, there isn't the drive in terms of passengers getting trains on Christmas Day to warrant it anymore. Like we discussed earlier that yeah. you know, it's just safer to do it. Absolutely. And- so... You know, I mean, it makes me nervous when, you know, sort of back in the day I was in a live railway environment and don't get me wrong, I've always followed process and I've always followed the method statements and I've always been completely safe. But that doesn't make it any less stressful and any less nerve wracking to know that if you make a mistake at any time, you could die. Like not to get too heavy, but that is really the the crux of this. Oh, yeah. If you can take away that risk, you should. It's that sort of pyramid of um, risk in terms of can you take the risk away okay you can't take the risk away but can you mitigate it with a process 
so that the person is away from the risk. If you can't mitigate that risk, then you, you know, you've got PPE as your very last line of defence. And as great and as much as I love the high vise because they do wonders for my complexion, they're not going to save me from a train. Yeah, so. you're still going to get turned into ragu. Like the the the, the ultimately the yeah, definitely. Like it's one of those weird things because it's like yes, I, I I wouldn't be on the I wouldn't be working on the rail. So I, most of the stuff that I've done that involves being next to trains is survey work, right? So when I'm out collecting information so that I know what the railway looks like, so I can muck around with it. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, surveys always get kicked to the bottom of the pile in terms of priority. So I'm often out working line blocks where you know the you phone up the signaler, the signaler says, yeah, that's a you're between red signals you're protected on you go um yeah. and and often that means that i'm working i'm working alongside an open an open railway you know an adjacent line is still open and even so, though you you're working safe i wouldn't be working if i didn't feel safe at the same time there's a difference between knowing that you're working safe having the confidence in the safe system work and not still being conscious that one foot in the wrong direction means i'm on a live railway with trains going back and forth so it's absolutely the safest thing is to just take that risk out of the equation altogether and for major work where you've got a lot of people and machines, that risk only increases because you've got more people bouncing around, you've got a more complicated site. So working with the adjacent railway open is just, yeah, you, you really want to avoid that for complicated works, um, kind of like what's going on here. The other thing, of course, I mustn't just, we, we mentioned physical holes in the railway and, and safety. The other thing, even if you're not actually mucking around with the infrastructure, um, the signalers and the signaling tester and commissioners they need what they call wheels free for quite a long time and then you can't achieve that when trains are running so you have to close the railway to actually safely so that the railway is safe for passengers to, and, and freight trains to run around and um, they the the, the the signaling system obviously has to be tested and, and be confirmed as working and in order to do that you have to have wheels free for so many hours uh, you can't do that when you've got a without a you know a blockade anyway no. So there, nice pictures of, of, of PEMs and LEMs whizzing back and forth and moving, switching crossing units around. In any case, so that is one thing. Oh, <laughs> next thing is a picture of you looking like you're struggling in the snow. What the heck's going on, Bonnie? So <laughs> this is a Christmas that I worked uh, down in the south for a contractor who I didn't check if I could tell this story. So that'd be fine. Have- Remain nameless. Yeah. We were. So, this was my second Christmas that I'd worked on the railway. Mm -hmm. And we were replacing uh, and doing cable doubling. And, well, it did not go as planned, should we say. Unfortunately, a labour agency fell through with all the labour. Not all of, but part of the labour we ordered. Mm -hmm. Um, What else happened? Uh, the van that we ordered in order to feed everybody because obviously how is everybody going to get lunch on Christmas Day they turned up five hours late it was just one of those jobs where just everything was done right but it still went wrong and uh, it got to the end of the shift and my mum kept trying to video call me and I I just sent her this picture going I'll call you when I get to the hotel because I was working really far away from my house at the time Mm. And she went, don't worry, just go to sleep and ring me when you wake up. Yeah. And I was like, how about in about a couple of years when I've recovered? Yeah, oh goodness. But yeah, uh, I was absolutely freezing because I was, I'm not, you know, I'm a city girl by nature. I'm not outdoorsy. I was like, well, I've got a big coat. I'll be fine. <laughs> when you're standing like, around. Freeman narrator voice. In fact, she was not fine. She yeah. was freezing. <laughs> <laughs> she was a giant icicle. Exactly, exactly it- that. Anyone who's stood outside 
in the cold, even in all of your warm layers. I'm generally quite a warm person, but even when I'm stood outside in all my layers, in, in fact, on that shift, when I was doing that video that, from the last slide, I was freezing. I was stood next to the generator trying to warm my fingers up because when you're stood around for four or five hours plus in the middle of the night, it, which it, it was for me then, when your body's kind of expecting you to be in bed anyway, but anytime, just standing around watching things, making sure stuff's happening, you get cold. Even if you're kind of plodding around on track, you get cold. You do. The problem is because you're not physically lifting and shifting, your your body starts to get very confused because obviously this picture is at the end of a 12-hour shift mm. and this is at maybe 7 in the morning, I think. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, when you're wearing Cut 5 gloves, which was mandated by the client at the time, so Cut 5 gloves are a type of um, cut-resistant glove, obviously, but they have a metal meshing in them, which is a great idea, but they get really cold mm. and then create very cold hands. So I know that a lot of safety contractors have um, started creating lined versions and things like that to make them a bit more user-friendly. So between the Cut 5 gloves that were freezing cold because they were basically like very fine chain link within rubber, yeah. <laughs> my, my steel toe cap boots that I did not spend that much money on because I was very young and stupid, they were freezing cold. It was just not going well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, covered in a lot of very cold metal with yeah. snow landing on your head yeah it was not and it was one of those ones where i was like if i don't if i wear my hard hat for another hour i'm gonna throw it i'm getting mad <laughs> oh my, so when, when i left the site and walked home i took my hard hat off and put it in i was like i don't even care that it's snowing i don't even care anymore i just want this hard hat off the and, shift uh, from hell it does happen and and they don't they don't always all go like that invariably things do go wrong they don't all go like that but when they do good grief they stick with you right they do. And that's why I thought it was important to put this one in, because considering that I'm, you know, year seven into my career, I've only I feel like I'm very, very lucky because apart from obviously this year in 2020, I've worked every single Christmas mm. and every single Easter that apart from this shift on, on the screen now, I've not really had that many go wrong. And I, I feel like sort of knocking yeah. on with that. But, be smug. You, know. you deserve to be smug. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very, very fortunate because I hear some horror stories on site and I'm like, oh, my God, I think maybe I shouldn't complain. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so there there you are, covered in snow, uh, actually looking remarkably kind of, you, you still look like you've got your shit together, actually, in that picture, even though, like, yeah, like, uh, you could That's you could be like, there could just be you it. just, like, running off into the distance with, like, just wailing your arms around. And you kind of, like, yeah. In any case, snowy, uh, which is good. I'm glad you gave us a snowy picture uh, for the for our topical topical episode. Oh right, okay. We're going to do some, so. We're, we're diving even deeper in to actually explain what a blockade is. Um, we've both gone orange again. So first, you or I? Oh yeah, who's going to go for it? Well, first of all, I'll put this picture up. So these are some images that are, that I've ripped straight out of the um, the railway group standards, sort of the rule book actually, uh, explaining some things. So two things here. <clears throat> Both of these are possessions, so not technically. Neither of these are blockades. But oh wait, let me get my let me get my pen back. Where's the pen? Here we are. Uh, let's do red. So on this one, we, we've already talked about adjacent line open. You can see there's this this bit here in blue is is this is the possession. So this is what the work will go on. Kind of there'll be work going on here. We can do what we like here, as long as it's sufficiently protected, which it has been here. However, there's an adjacent line. The adjacent line is open. So this as we've already said, isn't isn't really suitable for a lot of the work, we, the kind of the heavy work that we need to do on the railway. So then the next thing you can do is actually close the railway completely. Uh, so this here is a, is a, is a full line 
line closure, full line, kind of all line possession, particularly this bit here, you can see this bit here, all line possession. Um, but still, this the thing that makes it then a blockade is basically kind of like this, except that uh, you just close everything all closed off and you just have everything closed off and you've got, and it's generally has to be planned long in advance. Uh, possessions are planned 12 weeks in advance, uh, minimum, theoretically, although sometimes they can be a bit less than that. Uh, correct me if I'm doing any, saying anything wrong, by the way, Bonnie. Uh, that's radio silence, so I'm happy with the radio I'll, silence. I'll, I'll jump in when, when you're done. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, but then the block... Okay, so, so, these, this, so this is a, a kind of a... These are possessions. But what's the difference between a possession and a blockade, then? What would you, how would you describe the difference? So, from, from my contractor side knowledge only, and this could be completely wrong, I'm... I was on the working knowledge that possessions were generally agreed amongst possession managers and possession planners, uh, generally of sort of 52 weeks out, unless there's an emergency or unless there is a, um, you know, threat to the timetable. When I say threat to timetable, I don't mean in terms of like, you know, a, a, something terrible safety incident happening, but in terms of just an impact on the operational timetable. That's the, generally the rules I was given in terms of when it comes to asking for possessions, um, because ne obviously different clients have to budget in terms of rail replacement and things like that. And that's why that's the reasons contractors are at least given when they're delivering sort of the works on those possessions that mm. is 52 weeks out. Um, I just wanted to add, because obviously, you know, you have a d diverse set of viewership. Could you circle the bottom left uh, paragraph for me? Possession of the down main line. Oh, yes, I can. Let me do precisely that. This so bit here, possession of the down main line, detonator yeah. protection beyond 844, which is one of the numbered signals they've chosen yeah. here. Oh, it's actually, no, it's just one of the symbols. Well, there's a little symbol with the number 844. Uh, detonator protection beyond 844 through crossing to detonator protection on the approach side of 845 points. So where it says possession of the down main line, when you look at different track maps, diagrams, everything else, you'll see that everything's either called a down or an up. So an up is the direction of which you'd be traveling to London. So when you do um, possession planning and things like that, and you're looking at, you know, plant movement for road rail vehicles when you're delivering materials, and you talk about the up and the down line in terms of how you turn your vehicles around, where you're planting all of your different materials for the rest of that possession or blockade, you would do that on either the up or the down. The up goes to London and the down is travelling away from London. There are very, very, very few exceptions to the rule. There will be somebody out there, probably Simon Kendler, who will tell yeah. you that there's somewhere called the up that actually isn't. There, there, there are a few around, yeah. Yeah, there is some. There is a like maybe two or three exceptions, but in you know the sort of general rule of thumb when you are planning a possession or a blockade is that you would use your time for the beginning of the possession for the up and down lines in order to put your materials and plant that you would need so that you don't have to spend you know a lot of a lot of uh, people labor and a lot of inefficient labor intensive hours getting plant and materials there that you don't need to use when you could use a road rail vehicle mm. it's a lot easier so so generally, so so possessions are generally uh, the, the actual the actual difference in terms of protection between a possession and a blockade um, are, are not too dissimilar. But generally, the difference is that a possession is not usually much more than a, a weekend or a long weekend. Absolutely. Um, whereas a blockade, so sorry, quite common that would have. So, for example, you, it's, you regularly do works to do rotter rules of the route works. Uh, on weekday nights that's very common small yeah. works weekday nights you know like monday night through to yeah. a thursday night very common 
another very common type of possession is where you do work. You know, the railway, clo- the last train runs on the Friday night. You get the railway on the Saturday and you get it on the Sunday through to the morning and try and get the railway reopened by kind of prepped ready for Sunday uh, for, for the Monday morning sort of commuter trains. But if you've Which got a bank contractors fear. Yes, that that, that first train. Agents, it is so expensive. <laughs> yes, and often there's like the you know you're kind of bargaining with the with the the, op, the ops team on the Monday morning, sort of, sort of saying, look, can you just squeeze the last one back by? We've, we've still need another four hours wheels free. Can you just you know it's like one a.m. and you know that the, the first train comes through at like half five or something, and you're just like, oh, it's going to be tight because we've got to get wheels free and then we've got to get all the kit off and so on. So that's always a bit scary. But that but a lot of work happens in, in weekends. So that's that's a, a lot of kind of things like junk remodeling it's a very simple one or junction renewals sorry not remodeling junction renewals where you're just sort of taking out a switch that needs renewing putting a new one in basically where the other old one was that sort of thing you can do in a weekend um but where you've got a lot of digging a lot of physical heavy works to do you need longer than that so a blockade is where you'll have perhaps a long weekend like so so easter is an example of one where you've got you know kind of right the way through you've got good friday right the way through to to tuesday so you've got quite a lot quite a lot of hours there um, you know, 54 hours plus, basically. I'd say 54 hours plus is where you're getting into blockade territory. And you can have longer blockades. So, for example, King's Cross remodeling is going to have several... Uh, it's going to have... It's got had some full blockades and it'll have some partial blockades where the lines are closed for weeks at a time. Um, so, yeah, generally a blockade is just a long possession. I think that pretty much covers it. I'm going to get... I'm going to have specialists of, of who... In fact, I'm going to have people shaking... I'm gonna have people shaking this, uh, shaking this thing at me, uh, saying that I'm speaking rubbish. Let's go side by side. There we go. There it is. We've got our faces next to each other. Uh, there are. So all the all the nice pictures in here for everyone to know how to not get turned into pasta sauce on the railway. Um, also, I've got an old copy of the rule book behind me as well. Num- this is like. When you say old copy, how old are we talking? Not that old. It says rail track on it, so it's not actually that old. Uh, What's the year on it? 96. Okay, I was two when that came out. Okay, that definitely counts as vintage. <laughs> yeah. I've got I've got some really old ones somewhere else on here actually. Some some like really knackered old bits and pieces in my in my various collections behind me. In any case, we must we must travel on because fifty four minutes have passed already and we're barely scratching the surface. In any case, they're blockades. I think we've explained that fine, haven't we? Yeah. We've we've gone through that. Um but again, yeah, so so it's where you need really complicated work. This is a picture, I think, of... Is it the railway through... I think it's through Doonesgrate, or it might be on the Manchester-Victoria approaches. In any case, this is in Manchester, I think. Um, and you can see this is... I love this picture because it's so complicated. There's so much going on. Uh, you just couldn't achieve this work. So, you you know, you've got, you've got road rail vehicles sort of here. You've got a ballast train here working its way through, kind of parked up. You know, another road, road railers here, more here. Lots of people working. You've got some S&C units sort of plonked up here. There's an enormous amount of work. There's, there's new oil masts that have been placed, new foundations. I think there's a pile of foundations somewhere. I can't find it. There's, there's just so much going on. You just cannot achieve this sort of level of work in, a, in one weekend. You, you need a long time to prepare uh you know to prepare the materials you can see there's a load of geotextile here where they're they're kind of protecting waterproofing the the, the bridge there uh, kind of this this elevated bit of railway and laying new ballast onto just so much work going on absolutely and i mean even you know you obviously you do get passengers who are very inconvenienced i mean unfortunately uh, i don't drive so i normally end up getting the bus replacement 
to the site that I'm working at, yeah. which is never very good if you're already in uniform with some disgruntled passengers. But, you know, they say, well, why can't you do a line at the time? Or why can't you just do it on nights? And, you know, realistically, a lot of work probably could be done on nights. But we also have a duty to squeeze out sort of every penny that we're given by the government in terms of these renewals, enhancements and upgrades, that this is the most cost effective and efficient way to get this yeah. done. Absolutely. And if we want to make sure that, you know, the railway does keep running and, you know, keep trying to keep up with passenger demand in terms of numbers and in terms of, you know, usage of later into the night. I mean, there are lots of calls for, you know, 24 hour railway, not just on the tube at the weekends in London, but also, you know, across across the UK for mm. weekend 24 hours. If we want to get to a position where we're able to deliver that, then we have to do these sort of upgrades in blockades and possessions. There's just no other way to do it Absolutely. that would be as cost effective. Yeah, I don't think I think people perhaps don't realize that if you're you know if you're delivering work in rules of the route so weekday evenings or 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 even in successive weekends it's it you're talking about five you know potentially four or five times longer to do the work in terms of people hours but in terms of actual time the work that you could do in between two weekends with a week might end up taking multiple years to deliver because of the complexity of not being able to bring kit into site. Like you're talking about huge extensions of time and all that extra time means more people having to be employed longer term, which means the project costs a lot more, which means the work ultimately, given the various sort of economic drivers we, or decisions, you know, abolish the treasury, etc. Um, money, unfortunately, remains everything. And so if you're delivering less work for the same cash, that means that government is, is less interested in investing. So exactly. it's bad news all around, really. So we, we need to get into a place, and we'll talk about this at the end, we need to get into a place where, as a society, we're a bit more comfortable with closing the railway a bit like this. But also that's on the railway a bit to communicate better. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. In any case, here's some pictures of railways with holes in them. There's, uh, there's also the fact that, you know, not even just at the, wow. Yeah, this so, is a, there's a, <laughs> sorry, I've distracted you with a picture of, this is, this is near my, uh, where I grew up. This is a, you can tell by the, the, the cheap granite facing they've used on the, on the bridge. This is near, this is the redoubling of the Aberdeen Inverurie line. And you can see what they've done here is make a bridge do folly down, uh, because they're going to put a new one in because it's exactly. sing, was single track and it's going to be double track. That's the technical term, is it? Make it the bridge is. do the poorly down. Precisely, yes, yes. <laughs> you can see they've, they've put some nice netting over the hedge uh, adjacent to the what's probably a pretty mundane hedge next to the railway there. They put some nice protective netting on it. That's nice, isn't it? So um, the reason they do that is to, to shield sort of birds' nests and things like that yes. to make sure that they don't leave the nest so that they do come back. Yeah, there you go. See, that is why we have clever people joining us on Rail Now, folks. Um, in any case, sorry, I distracted you from making a, a valid point. Uh, uh, the other one was just about, you know, efficiency in terms of the blockades and possessions. There's also, you know, there is already a really big skill shortage and skills gap absolutely. within the railway. Yep. Um, it's all, you know, planning possessions and blockades, especially at Christmas. It is harder and harder every year and it is more expensive every year to find the labour that you need mm. and to find people, not just people who fill the roles, but good people for the roles who are skilled and talented at their job. And, you know, if we if we did this all on nights and stretched it all out far longer than it needed to, it just wouldn't work because yeah. of the skilled shortage and gap that already exists. Yeah, and it's not, it, frankly, it's not, um, yeah, when you want a work, when you don't want all of your workforce to be working horrible antisocial hours. It's not unreasonable right. for people to expect to, you know, 
yes, there always there's going to be maintenance and renewals work in evenings. There's no avoiding that because we're always on the back foot trying to keep up with the backlog of, of, of keeping the railway intact. But when you exactly as you say, people need to people need deserve to have a, a decent standard of living and if if the only work that's available to them is nights weekends that's not it puts puts a stress on mental health on on families on you know on people you know people's own social lives if they you know if they're single if it wrecks their social life they don't have any nights themselves you know it's it's just yeah so it uh there are lots of good reasons for doing more work in more conventional hours um not least that it, it, it it's more it's less antisocial for the for the staff doing the work and also it means that yeah as you say we can deliver more we get more bang for our buck we can deliver more more quickly and we're in a race against time to deliver more capacity on this railway network covid Absolutely. is going to be a blip in terms of rail numbers everything will be back to normal within a couple of years and we're and, and the overriding problem is that we still have 90 percent of people and things moving around by road Rail needs to double its capacity by the middle of the century, and we're not going to do that if we don't make best use of the limited human resources we have. Absolutely, and you know, we'll obviously with you know COVID numbers eventually coming back to normal once everything, you know, the vaccine, everything else is out. You'll also have an influx, I think, of more commuter passengers because I don't know about you, but certain, you know, certainly in a lot of my social circles, people have moved back out to the countryside, back away from their jobs, either back home to their parents to save money for a deposit to try and get on the market or they've actually sold their existing property in Central and tried to move further out in order to get a bit more bang for their buck. So then I think there is going to be an increased passenger demand that people aren't necessarily expecting of people who've moved out of sort of cities to the countryside for a better standard of living. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, actually, because we, we all, even before COVID, there was a, an increasing trend of people working a bit more flexibly, doing more work, uh, kind of work, spending fewer hours Accord, not necessarily the traditional commute, but actually as a result, traveling more by rail, enabling them to, to actually use rail more than they would if they were just commuting, because they yeah. can then travel maybe two or three days a week on a longer commute. So, it's, yeah, the, the patterns have been the traditional commute has been in decline for a long time. Um, and actually more and more, we're seeing this more flexible uh, kind of uh, kind of. Uh, and it's a good thing because if it levels our peaks out a little bit, actually, it allows us to use the railway in a bit more of a clever way. So, yeah, that's definitely true. The trends of, of, of travel patterns uh, existed before COVID and will continue to kind of COVID perhaps has cemented some of them a bit more quickly, um, which is maybe helpful from a long term planning perspective. Anyway, right. I'm going to wiggle my hands around. I'm going to press this button here and we're going to go to the next slide. Ah. What sort of works are going on? Oh, this is where we... So we're one hour and... Actually, I have no idea how many hours we're in because we'll have paused it where, where we broke. However, uh, we're, we're an hour in already and we're only just talking about what kind of works are going on. Let's move on to the next picture. Um, so I only, I've only just put up a few pictures and actually there, there's an indescribably large number of different sorts of works that go on um, at Christmas. And, and I'm sure you've got different... I mean, you, how many years? You've, you've Six Christmases you'll have worked now, is it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, six. So you've so, done all sorts of different things. Yeah, so we did sort of cable doubling uh, for Redacted. Um, <laughs> yeah. I did, uh, oh gosh, from Tunbridge to Hastings, power upgrade and feeder upgrade, plus a couple of substations here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, tunneling repair works because the tunnels were built so long ago that there was bricks falling down where they were just so wet and so horrible and old. So obviously, you know, you often get bricks coming down onto the trains, um, not in a safety critical issue at all, because 
you know, they'd when I say they'd come down, they'd fall about a foot and then just get knocked off into the cess. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Oh, the the cess is um, oh god. This bit yeah, over here, the cess. <laughs> actually, that's not. That, I'm wrong because it's not. This is actually a picture from the middle of the ten foot. But basically, if you've got two tracks, well, I'm going to draw it now. Imagine you've got your traditional two tracks. Here we are, two tracks. Here we are. I'm going to draw sleepers as well. This is really. This is my absolute best. Ella, who's one of the people on the Discord server, she'll be screaming at me saying, "Get a Wacom," which is a thing that allows you to draw better. I'm just using my my shonky mouse which is actually my mouse is in it's getting really bad there are some tracks a sponsor to buy you one of those I, well but there, i've got <laughs> patron supporters who are just going to be shaking their head like why why come on this bit here is the six foot these bits here are the four foots uh, and these bits here the, uh, and the, the the are called the cess because um in yon olden days and indeed as much as we possibly can these days as well uh all the 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 water and poop uh would flow into that bit where you'd have a drain or just just a bit of a channel uh, and so it was called the cess as in a cesspit and that's why it's called the cess but it's the bits either side of the railway basically um so this is the, the six a, foot succinct, succinct uh, better explanation than i was about to give thank four, you four. so obviously the bricks would fall into the cess and things like that so there wouldn't be any sort of safety critical issues with that but it was also about the fact that you know it's important to maintain those channels and bridges as assets so that was mm. a lot of the work that happened over christmas that i've done yeah yeah it's, it's a similar so i've got a few i don't think i've got any particular order of pictures here actually so this one is a picture of a of um you've got the tilting oh press the button button uh here's the tilting yes i should have keep my pen up actually so this one is uh judging by the ole mast here it looks like we're on the great western um and this is some uh, the tilting s and c wagons to put switches and crossings on to basically remodel a, a railway junction you've got some nice new g44 and fast clip sleepers here they're lovely some nice new track uh so they're putting in the the new so junction remodeling is quite a common one that's one that i've been involved with a bit uh christmas works uh the next one Oh, now you... Okay, I said off... We're going to pretend that we haven't had this conversation yet. Tell me, what, what, do you recognise this bridge, Bonnie? <laughs> I do recognise this bridge. What a coincidence. <laughs> so, so, before I moved uh, to East London, this bridge is around the corner from my old flat in... Uh, well, I was in Sanderstead at the time. It's pearly, isn't it? Or yeah, it's pearly. Uh, and yeah, yeah. This, is, this is such a common... So, it, the Christmas works that I've spent a lot of the time doing, doing stuff recently... Uh, not actually this one. None of the pictures that I've shown here are actually of sites that I've worked on. But this is very common sort of work that I do, particularly in and around London, actually. Lots of bridges where you actually, you aren't replacing the whole bridge because there are multiple spans of different ages. But here we've yeah. got a nice brick arch, fairly flat elliptical brick arch span. Uh, we've whipped, ripped out one of the bridges here. And you can actually see up, I'm going to get rid of our faces briefly. There's a troughing route suspended up here with all the cables and things that's been suspended by a, a kind of a scaffold structure that you can see one of the legs of on the other side of the image so that's holding all the services up in the air the utilities up in the air actually these are the railway utilities but there might well be some like vodafone fiber optic cables or something too um let's put our faces back so that's hanging up in the air also these chats are rather unnervingly standing on top of the arch as if it's fine but actually, it probably is fine because the well, arch is nice and strong. But it always looks weird. I was going to say they all are wear, they are wearing harnesses as well. You they are, yeah. The chaps on the left, but the one on the right's got a harness on, so they'll all be harness trained and have harness tickets, yeah. which are difficult tickets to get in conjunction with railway tickets. Just for some reason, statistically, 
it, it is and that we go back to that labor shortage again yeah. depending on the type of work you've got finding someone with enough tickets to tick all the boxes for what you actually need on that shift is so challenging we, i mean it's so, annoying. so much people really don't appreciate how skilled a job working physical doing physical work in the railways is it's it's not just the case that you get any old mug off that who can ha- who can hold a shovel no. people who are working on the railways have a huge range of, of different skill sets different overlapping sort of well as we call, call them tickets you know craning tickets or road rail operators or or people who are capable of of doing hot work or you know uh suspended work all these different things huge amounts of complicated work uh, in any case here they are all doing magical things digging out the the, the ground above this this arch but probably what's going to happen is we're going to put uh, some form of flat deck uh, uh, underbridge here so the underbridge because because the deck is under the railway uh so yeah so there'll be a there'll be a deck flat deck thing go here or possibly it might be a con arch actually i don't know i don't exactly know what this bridge is you can probably go on street view and see exactly what it is now in any case that looks quite i think this is actually an old brick arch bridge that's had two flanking flat decks next to it if i know the site so uh although actually you do know it because you were there with lines going through it Uh, really okay yeah 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 you'd often get on the local facebook pages that lorries had gotten themselves wedged into there because they can get under the first half but because of the the gradient of the road changes they get stuck oh goodness yeah so actually this is this one of the situations where it's not it really isn't ideal that you've got this combination anyway that's a whole that's a whole we tell you what the the episode where sir peter hendy joins us for the for a real matter will be will will be one about bridge strikes so that'll be quite fun sir peter hendy if you're watching which apparently maybe you do I was informed and then broke into a cold sweat that the, basically the ultimate boss of the railways. Sorry, Andrew Haynes, but it's 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 Sir Peter Hendy. Let's face it. Um, uh, it's, Stop it. I'm not allowed to say. Oh, I'm getting told off. People are shouting in my. Oh, I've got someone in my ear. Um, the lawyers are telling me to stop saying things. Okay, yeah, fine. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, uh, that'd be a fun one, Sir Peter Hendy. It'd be a pleasure to have you on the show. <laughs> oh goodness. In any case, um. Yeah, so that's, so that's some other work, replacing bridges, that it's all very complicated. And all, the other good thing about doing this at Christmas is uh, is actually that the roads are a bit quieter as well, so we don't disturb too many people when we're uh, uh, mucking around with roads and highways as well as the railways. Next picture is in a station. It's another thing. Stations are very busy, apart from at Christmas, in theory. So this is a chance where we can rip things up. This looks like... What's that roof? Is this, uh, is this Paddington, actually? Is it? Is it? Oh, I can't quite tell. Or maybe it isn't. It's got a nice arched roof over here. This bit over here that's just underneath our heads. It's got yeah. kind of a nice station shed. I don't know what this work is. TXM plant. It's terrible because you, you and I are so different. You're looking at like the infrastructure, whereas I'm looking at the logos thinking, who do I know that yeah. works there? What <laughs> yeah. job are they on? And that's how I sort of go the sort of diagram in my mind of who do I know that works where sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think I found I think I managed to find quite a few Carillion pictures. In fact, the videos from earlier were of, of Carillion staff. R.I.P. Should take our hats off and hold them on our chest for the, for Carillion. Uh, rip in peace, Carillion. I know, right? That's, sorry, Carillion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. So, yeah, all this sort of stuff. Stuff that, just stuff that involves mucking around with the railway that would just generally be a pain. Doing this work while the station is open is very difficult because you have to close a platform and uh, and that disrupts a lot of people and makes timetabling difficult. And, and there's uh, always somebody drunk who's convinced they're going to come and do the work with you. <laughs> no. Oh, the golly. amount of drunk people I've had to remove and had removed from stations really? during the sessions is a nightmare. And it doesn't matter how many security staff you hire, there will always be one who gets through when they've all been kicked out of the clubs on a Saturday or Friday night who just thinks that they're Bob the Builder. Oh, crikey. <laughs> 
Thanks, thanks, Bob the Builder. Uh, anyway, so so I mean, just you name it, we are doing it. Uh, my first Christmas work that I was involved with was the long timber renewals on the King Edward Bridge just south of Newcastle. Um, right. That was uh, that was some interesting work. Uh, and obviously, again, if you long timbers are things are kind of long bits of wood that sit rather than sleeper, so they sit under the rail like that, rather than these sleepers, which you can see, which are doing this under the track. Um, long timbers do that. And so when you replace them, it involves, it's quite complicated work, particularly when it's on a bridge over the time. Anyway, so um, yeah, similarly, I've done all sorts of bits of work. But as we're about to talk about in the next question, which is, is all Xmas work site-based? Uh, well, it is for some people, but not necessarily, because yeah. I'm going to put a Gantt chart up next. Here we are. This is a this is an Excel spreadsheet, and I think this is actually I don't think anyone's going to be angry if I put this up. Let's see what what have we got. No, we won't because this has happened, and I don't think there's anything particularly telling what this work is to anyone. But this I was the forgiveness rather than permission. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. The work's passed. I bet this Excel spreadsheet's been accidentally deleted and lost from a system anyway somewhere. So, uh, no, I'm I'm jest. I jest, of course. This is the this will be the Wessex Alliance. So it would have been. Um, uh, one team Wessex, which is oh my goodness, if I've forgotten our contractor's name, that'd be uh, that's that's so bad. I've just had a complete mind blank. It's my it's our our client that we work so closely together with, and yet I've had a total mind blank. It's because we're such a close team that I've forgotten their name because we are just one team Wessex. You know, that's it. That's uh, all about the collaboration. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get sacked if I don't immediately Google this right now. Good group one, two. Googling that, I will talk about the works that I've done not necessarily on site during Christmas. Oh yeah, do that while I so, while I Google Osborne's. Osborne's, so I'm saying. So uh, one of the possessions that I did do over Christmas, I was based on site during the possession, but I was actually in just a grotty porter cabin with a, with a uh, dongle for the Wi-Fi. And then I was ringing round all of the other sites and doing the reporting for each of the possessions, mm. not just for my job, but also for about eight other jobs across oh, wow. the country mm. for a contractor called Redacted, because I forgot to ask them if they minded me talking about them. Mm. Um, <laughs> so that's, you know, there are a lot of different jobs. You can get, um, for example, site access controllers who are just outside of the site boundary. And one of their jobs is to essentially check everybody's ID, sign everybody in so obviously um network rail were using the sentinel system the construction industry uses cscs cards mm. and part of that is to make sure that you know for example if a person who does work on site has failed the drug test uh they are no longer welcome on site and they have their tickets removed from them and it's to make sure that you can't just chop and change between for example network rail and london underground so that making sure that if you you know unfortunately if you have a drug problem it's not safe for you to be on the railway and, and you won't be allowed back i believe it's five years although that might have gone up to seven i can't quite remember mm. so you know you've got site access controllers who sign everybody in they make sure the labor's there so that you're not overpaying for labor who hasn't turned up because quite often on christmas you know it's a bad practice but sometimes especially you know, with private contractors and things like that, they will ring up different operatives who have a certain set of tickets that are quite hard to get hold of and say, well, how much are they paying you? Uh, I'll pay you slightly more at the very last minute. And sometimes you just lose people to that. Mm. So those access controllers are essential from a commercial perspective in terms of who you're paying for what. But also, you know, if there's an incident on site and you have to evacuate, that is the up-to-date, on-the-pulse register List to of making who's... sure that nobody's yeah. lost you know so it's really important that job it's a huge amount of co so this so this as a so as a design engineer um this is the sort of thing that i'm seeing when i'm when i've got one or more sites i'm getting the updates through on this um actually this isn't a gantt chart really it's a it sort of is but it's 
it's basically just a spreadsheet showing uh, one column with the the activity, uh, the planned and the actual time that that activity should finish. And actually, you can see fair play to Osborne. This was a this was a site that was going very very well. We had a couple of blips with the, putting the, um, the the third rail back in and some challenges with getting the welding done on time. But generally, um, use use uh, flashback welds, everyone, and then you wouldn't have that problem. Generally, we were having um, – it's a pretty good site. This was replacing – just as, as I described earlier, replacing a bridge deck um, uh, upper – wait a minute. This is UKL, I think. So this is upper Kennington Lane, I think. Uh, yeah, so bridge work's going on there near Vauxhall, next to Vauxhall Station. Um, so quite complicated because the bridge was kind of underneath the platform. So you've kind of got all the platform to deal with and all the sort of very fiddly site. But uh, really interesting. And so you're following this. And essentially, as a, as a designer, I'm sat waiting in case there's some issue where perhaps we've not picked something up in survey quite right. Or maybe there's been a change since we did the survey. and the, and uh, or, or perhaps nothing, there's no problem with the survey, but there's just something isn't quite fitting for whatever reason. The designer, uh, the contractors, the installation team like to have the designers on hand to just, they can phone up, ask us a question. We'll use our expertise in our design. We also know our design better than anyone else. So if there's something that we've not actually communicated very well in our drawings, for whatever reason, we can explain it a bit more in detail. So we're just there to help uh, as best we can. And so this was, when was this? This was Christmas 18, so two years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was on, that was, that was last, um, that was the last time I was on call. I wasn't on call last year, so. That was the last time I was on call uh, there to help out. So it's always quite, you feel like you're part of the team. It's a bit sad that I can't um, imbibe because obviously I have to be completely sober for the hours that I'm on call. But yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's a good experience. You feel like you're supporting. Sometimes I've, I've, d designers can be a bit distant from the actual work that's going. Not always, and it's getting better. But there's, there's always the risk that designers can be a bit distant. So it's nice for us to get stuck in and, and support the teams actually out there doing the work. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, from from the other side of that, being able to ring up a designer when you've discovered something that wasn't on any of the surveys, anything else, and go, look, this is in the way. You know, for example, when you're laying a troughing route, I need to dogleg it around. Mm. I know that the cable has enough bend radius in it, but you know, are you seeing any problems? And I'll mark up the drawing with some red lines now. Mm. You know, just having that extra layer of protection because you know, you're out there, you're cold, you're nine hours into a twelve-hour shift. You know. It's about having that additional layer of protection, like everything with the railway, it's it's belt and braces. And I Absolutely. think it is really good that design engineers are coming into the fold more with that. Yeah, definitely. And, and we, and frankly, we enjoy being there to help. If, if our design, our life is easier generally because our as-built drawings are easier to create when we can help and understand and, and inform the, design, the the contractor, the installation team. Um, you know, if there are challenges, we as a designer, certainly all the designers I know in our, our team, uh, particularly on this contract. So One Team Wessex is one of the big multi-asset framework contracts where there's a contractor and then lots of designers supporting. And we all we have a very close working relationship, I'm pleased to say, and it's how it works best on the railway flank, frankly, when everyone's kind of working closely together and aiming in the same direction. And we really like, we know that when we're working closely with the installation team and, and supporting them to, but basically the railway gets put together better and everyone's happy at the end. And essentially, it's easy. you're more likely to be able to hand the site back in the in the finished state uh, exactly as the client wants, which is which makes everyone happy. Um, yeah, so that's one example. I'm sure, again, lots of other people working, kind of delivering work uh, with lots of different sorts of roles, you know, um, as you talk staff coordination and, and all sorts of different things, making sure it gets delivered. But conscious of time, you'll have to use your imagination to, ima to, to think of those, unless there's anything else you want to say on this, well, on this slide, Bonnie. 
No, no, apart from the fact that obviously, you know, if, if anyone who isn't in the railway but is listening is considering a career in the railway, oh. I definitely, I would definitely put that at the top of your list because there is so much variation that you could have. It's not just, you're not just there shoveling big rocks of ballast and that's it. And you're not just there filling in spreadsheets. There is absolutely everything in mm. between those. So true. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, very good point. And it's we talked about the skills gap. We had, a, in fact, we had a young real during real week. We had a YRP, um, we had a lovely YRP episode um, where we were talking about uh, uh, well the skills gap. We were talking about the skills gap and why why we have challenges. Um, it was a, it was a that was a fun episode. We had um, Harriet Glenn was jo- had joined us to talk about um, uh, the skills gap. It was a good good episode that one. Uh, right, we're getting there. The last question, our faces have both gone orange because we've got another chapter slide. Do the Christmas blockades give the railway enough time? Uh, I well, it depends on your perspective. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put this... In fact, I'll get both of our picked faces up for this one. Um, it does depend on the perspective, doesn't it? Because we... Easter and Christmas are invariably we're waiting for those blockades to come around, right? So, like, if if we if something happens that we if we if there's some critical problem that means there's too much wind for a lift or some, it means that we have to delay either by either to Easter or more likely to the next to the one one year later. And frankly, that means delays and long delays, which means increased costs, but also it just means, frankly, that we're not doing the work the railway needs. In, in a timely fashion. So more yeah. flexibility for blockades to happen at other times of year, I think, is a good thing. Absolutely. I mean, one of the jobs that I worked for, uh, that same contractor redacted, um, <laughs> one of the one of the um, tracks that we were on was a single line track and it had a bridge that only had 15 mil of clearance on when we were putting a transformer through on the bogey to take it all the way through. And that was on one of the tunnels. We were also consistently doing brickwork repairing mm. because they were falling down so much. We had this lovely, shiny, brand new transformer on a single track tunnel with only 15 mil of clearance. Or we we could have, you know, chosen a Russian Mark Chinook to fly it in because that was the only type of helicopter strong enough to lift it in. But then you have the risk of the time of year because it's winter. So then, you know, it's just an impossible choice that if we miss it, it will go out to either the next christmas or because there are so many works already planned in already with network rail mm. likely the christmas after potentially yeah, yeah yeah quite often the christmas because for a lot of critical resources they're booked two or even three years in advance now you know things like the kirovs the big cranes that can operate That's on the right. railway they're booked you know not just not just one or two or but three years in advance this is how critical story about a kirov if you want oh go on tell us about your tell us about our, your disaster kirov what happened uh, I accidentally broke a car park with a Kirov crane. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, our supplier at the time, who I will not name because, you know, it was a genuine accident and it feels unfair to bash them. They they delivered the Kirov uh, four days early and the yard that we had that was able to take the weight of that Kirov crane was full of materials that were going out on nights in preparation for this possession. Um, so the operator of the Kirov crane was going, uh, believe, back to Wessex, where he lived. Mm. Uh, I didn't have another operator. And he went, we can take it back with us to Wessex, but you're not going to get it back. And I thought, well, oh, my God, my boss is on holiday. My boss's boss is on holiday, ready for this coming possession this weekend. I'm going to have to make a decision. Mm. So I got him to park it in the local station's uh, car park. 
and I just stuck like 16 parking tickets to it. And I thought, just I haven't let it go anywhere. I mean, I would like to point out I was very junior in my career. I was just 20. Yeah, but that's um, not, that's like using some common sense. I don't you know, it's fine. Well, I knew if, I knew if, we, if we couldn't get it this weekend, one, the possession would be pushed out by about 12 months. Mm. But I also know that Kirovs are in such short supply. You know, it was another 18 months before we, we had a free booking for one again. So I thought, right, we've got to keep it, even if I can't fit it in the yard. And then I went back into the office feeling content that I had put out this fire. Then about six hours later when I left the office to go home, I'd noticed that it had sunk a bit. By about five inches. Oh. So I've, I've rung all of our design engineers, our civil engineers, going, I've really made a big mistake. I need your help right now. Go back to the office. <laughs> Come to the oh office. Oh, my goodness. Today. I was really popular. And uh, they went, well, I mean, if it's only sunk this much by now, it's probably not going to go anymore. <laughs> it's probably going to be fine, but who owns the car park? And I was like, well, I'm assuming assuming the operator owns and runs the car park. And it turns out it was owned by a lord who I will not name as well, whose secretary contacted the company directly instead of coming to our site office that was also in the car park. And long story short we we relayed their car park at our own cost and bought lots of apology presents and uh did some did some works to said lord's estate about 20 miles away from that official <laughs> name i've remain unnamed but it's it's definitely one of the uh the biggest mistakes that i've ever made in my See, career i still don't think that's a mistake so that, yeah yeah it's a good line to say i broke a car park with a <laughs> so, i don't think that's a mistake You'd have probably the cost of relaying the car park was less than the cost of of binning the possession. So actually, it doesn't sound like a mistake at all. During my argument with my boss about it at the time, that you know, losing the Kirov Crane booking that we'd already paid for, losing the possession, all the labour, abortive costs, and everything else, that was like two hundred eighty eight grand, and that was just like a finger in the air. These are the costs I'm thinking about, let alone mm. the rebooking of the possession of the line and everything else. So you know. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Rebuild a car park. Everyone's happy. Everyone's got a nice new shiny thing at the end of it. New shiny bit of railway. New shiny car park. New shiny fence on a some lord's uh, estate. Everyone's winning. Uh, <laughs> but this is. But again, this, this kind of comes back to a little bit what we were talking about earlier with pressure of, of possessions and how much the pressure of you know the, the pressure is only increased by the fact that if you've got limited, you know, the the, the ability to make decisions about uh, about assets about resources about staffing the pressure is on and, and mistakes are made when there's too much pressure and so having more having the ability to book blockades in different times of the year um we've already talked about that improving staff welfare but also the availability of staff in the first place the ability yeah. to recruit staff it's just a winner and and so i'm going to go back to guest face here we are. we're back in the corner this is a picture of this is a nice sorry uh, uh new civil engineer i've nicked your sketch because it's quite a nice image showing the Warrington dive underworks so this is a, a curved box launch that's going to be happening. Uh, I don't know, either this Christmas or, or imminently. In any case, um, it's very it, fancy. say again. It's 
very fancy it's like very it. it's very schnazzy yeah yeah so um uh, i've been i've been when i was taking the train north and south on the east coast mainline quite a lot before before the the, the plague times uh, i was videoing as much as i could out of the window showing this all this work starting to appear and the cutting being dug, dug the trench being dug and the piles driven and all this stuff it's fascinating work um and uh and it's coming to a head that the, the the big stuff is going to start happening soon and i've got a sketch of what so so on the, you can see this launched box kind of curved box tunnel structure that's going to be guide curved and guided around underneath the existing railway which is very cool um mm. but also it's got all sorts of hydraulic jacks and and board piling to make sure and, a, and there's like a board tunnel with guide tracks to jack and guide this thing oh fascinating amount of work this sort of work is only going to increase in frequency as we upgrade the capacity of our railway network more of this work more disruptive massive heavy engineering work and in order to achieve this, we need to have more flexibility in terms of blockades. So the reason I put this picture up, oh, and indeed the next one, which is of, duh, 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 if I press this button and press this button, you can actually see the physical thing. So here's that curved box. Um, here's the curved box here. And you can see this is the, the kind of the, the pile cutting where it's going to be driven and pushed around underneath the existing East Coast mainline. Very, very, very cool engineering. Um, in any case, more of this is going to be happening around the country. And we can't. We simply cannot deliver those works without being more flexible in how we, in the times when we occupy the railway. Um, so yeah. So from my perspective, I think it's a good thing that ultimately passengers and freight freight operators get a better railway more quickly if they if if they are happy with more blockades throughout the year. But also, the railway needs to get better at com communicating what these look like to the to to the to the wider world as well. Um, I think we there's always more that we can do. We've we've got a lot better in recent years, but I, I don't know what you think, Bonnie. But I think there's always more we can do to communicate to our stakeholders about Definitely. what what they're coming up. Definitely, and I think that the railway should also invite people in more. I think yes. that in general we should be doing more tours for you know secondary school age children in the local area. So you know, for example, when I was working um, for the Tunbridge to Hastings power upgrade, and a lot of those sites around Tunbridge Wells in Kent, the ideal you know, stakeholder management tool would have been to invite, you know, the local children to come and have a look at this site in a safe, you know, planned manner, obviously. Mm. Not not inducing child labour or anything like that. But, <laughs> but Give them a shovel. Exactly, they'll be fine. But no, but it gives it gives that community spirit to the job and it mm. stops a lot of people going, you know, why have they got to do it in my back garden being a bit of a NIMBY? But, you know, understanding that it's actually an improvement for their community and it affects them directly in a positive way. But it also would show a lot of those children the different careers they could have in railway. Mm. And I think it would be a better way of making people understand, you know, what's happening, you know, at the end of their back garden where, you know, that, that railway line is. Oh, it's just work going on. Oh, actually, what they're doing is, and, you know, if you've got, a, you know, a family of, you know, sitting around having dinner, if their children have been on site and are able to tell them what's going on, what, what I think that's quite a nice way to sort of bridge that gap, as it were. Absolutely. I couldn't possibly think of a better way to, to ingratiate us as, as a railway. I couldn't think of a better way to ingratiate our industry with, with our stakeholders than getting the kids involved who then convince their parents and grandparents. Absolutely. Um, I don't think I can think of a better way to close out, really. Uh, oh, other than this picture of a snowy class 158 in the north. I suppose that's 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 all right. But there's not really much to say about other than that, other than, you know, Christmassy stuff. It's quite nice, so, isn't it? On on mentioning the uh, the kids and bringing children into railway, 
Can I just do a cheeky plug for YRP? Oh, I've got... Uh, yes, but we've got adverts in a minute and I've got your special slide, which you can right. do it to. Uh, so you're all set. We'll do the, the special slide. Uh, in fact, which we will... So I'll leave this picture up for a few more seconds. It's nice, snowy, class 158. Right, okay, that's enough. So, um, everyone, uh, I'm going to press press this button. So uh, this is available in audio form. And, 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 and yes, we have... Uh, so go and listen to it. I think this will be getting uploaded by... Uh, actually, Ella's uploading this. We're not Heel. Thanks, Ella, because Heel's on holiday, rightly so. Um, so we're available on good po podcasting platforms. Next slide is uh, oh Patreon. So yes, do support me on Patreon to make more of this happen. Uh, future episodes and themes you get to pick, and you get sneak peeks. And I, I ask you in name questions. Come and get involved in the Discord chat. It's a bit like the YouTube chat, but it, it, it is twenty four seven. So if if that's right up your street. Um, then I'm impressed. And also you can go to it at garethdennis.co.uk slash discord. Um, or if you don't fancy any of that sort of commitment, but you do want to support me on this, then paypal.me slash garethdennis. That's my plug. Uh, now it's time for Bonnie's plug. The YRP. Tell us. In fact, I'm going to get your face back. So you can, we're going to go back to guest face again. So you can tell us about the YRP. Thank you. So uh, YRP is a not-for-profit organisation that focuses on promoting, developing and inspiring the railway to young people. Uh, at the moment, I'm their national vice chairwoman, so you have different positions within YRP that you can be elected to, or you can volunteer as, as sort of regular. And there's eight regions, so obviously we've got Scotland, North East, North West, East Mids, West Mids, Wales, Western, London and South East. Uh, we're doing a Wales relaunch in the new year, which we'd love to see some people come to if you're from that Welsh region. We'd love to come and get involved. Uh, we've got a website, and if you want to come and sign up, we're on LinkedIn, Twitter, we're on everything. Um, it's I'm true. I'm doing a terrible plug for this. <laughs> hey, it's great. Hey, the improvised plugs are the best plugs. We do we do heritage work. So we've got Matthew Teller, who's our, who's our heritage manager at the moment, and he does a lot of fantastic work. We've got Interrail Programme, which features... Um, railway to younger children and to school age children and promoting it in an educational sense. We've got Rail Week, which obviously you mentioned earlier, which is sort of an industry wide um, pulling together in terms of promoting Rail Week. You know, there is so much that we do as, as an organisation, all based off of volunteering. You know, we have our annual dinner, which at the moment is in April, but obviously due to the coronavirus, I suspect that will get pushed back. It's impossible to say right now. But do come and do come and have a chat and come and get involved in our various different committees all over the UK. And we'd love to see some more people. Absolutely. Go and get stuck into the YRP. Um, Bonnie, that's going to get let's get. Oh, actually, before before I say me thank yous, I, oh, I have personal plugging as well. So the next two episodes are have I actually got one. Let me just check. Have I actually got one? I'm going to go side by side. I'm going to be really clever here. Oh, no, I've only advertised that just so. Uh, <laughs> So the next episode, the next Christmas episode, is um, Snow versus Railways, which is going to be a fun little whiz uh, through talking about what the, how snow and railways have battled each other throughout history. And there'll be some gratuitous pictures of snow plows. So uh, that, that should be fun. For anyone who likes snow plows, join us for episode 42. And then episode 43, which I don't have a picture of, but which I'll probably add in post. So I'll pretend that there's a picture of it. In fact, I'll turn our faces off briefly just so that I can edit it in and it'll be totally seamless. The next episode is, um, episode 43, is we're going to talk about uh, the US railways and, and how the US railroads are good, actually, with Justin Rosniak, a.k.a. Do Not Eat, off of Well, There's Your Problem podcast, who's who's a veritable podcasting celebrity. Uh, so that's very exciting. Uh, so uh, that's we've, we've got quite the Christmas lineup. Uh, Bonnie, you've started off our celebrity triple. 
uh, Alex, well, that's a celebrity. You won't mind me saying it. And then, and then Justin Rosnett coming in. So it's quite, it's, it's all, it's all good stuff. It's exciting. It's an exciting Christmas. Um, I can now do this button and pretend that that was, you know, slickly operated and, and, no, and everyone's, you know, it's, it's a pro move, frankly. I'm, I'm very good at this. It's not totally unprofessional and shonky. Bonnie, that's been You're brilliant. I've had so much fun. Pterodactyl. Yeah, yeah that's it, the pterodactyls. <laughs> Remember the pterodactyls, everyone. Uh, what, yeah. What, I, that's, that's great. Thanks for that. I'm, oh, hang on. There anyway, we've respectively we finished. Finish yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that means we can finish. That's done. Just I'm gonna knock the mic over and walk off. <laughs> that was delicious. Uh, I needed that Bailey's actually. That's good. Um, Bonnie, thanks so much for joining us on this Christmas Eve Eve. No problem. Thank you for having me. It's I been a, time. it's been a pleasure. I will. Um, uh, yeah, I will uh, stay on the line because I'll will I'll, I'll say a thanks after. But for everyone else who's been watching this sort of live, um. Have a nice Christmas and enjoy your respective holidays. And if you aren't a Christmas fan, but you just enjoy the holiday season, which is basically me, actually, uh, have a nice rest of your holiday season. And uh, and I'll see you for the next one in a week, or I won't because it's not live. It's a pre-record, but I might join in the chat and say hello anyway. But um, from me and Bonnie, it only remains to say cheerio. Cheerio, cheerio. Oh.